Hello and welcome. I'm Brian Bunk, and this is the Soccer History USA podcast. On today's episode, Roger Alloway. Roger Alloway is one of the foremost historians of American soccer. He's written several books, including Rangers, Rovers, and Spindles, Soccer, Immigration, and Textiles in New England and New Jersey, Corner Offices and Corner Kicks. He's also the co-author of several other important reference works on U.S. soccer history, and now is an occasional columnist at BigSoccer.com. Welcome to the podcast, Roger. Thank you. I wanted to start by maybe asking you a little bit about your background. Um, did you play soccer? Were you a fan of a particular club growing up? I didn't play soccer. Uh, my school had a team, but I did not play. But I did become a fan at a relatively early age. Uh, my f- the first pro game I ever went to, I was 14 years old, uh, between a Brazilian team and a Scottish team in New York City. Uh, but for many decades, I was really not much more than a casual fan. Um, what got me started becoming more than casual about it was the watching the broadcasts of the 1974 World Cup at Madison Square Garden in New York. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it grew from there. The, uh, I've never all that seriously been a fan of a particular team. Uh, back when I was first getting interested, Tottenham Hotspur was the top dog in England, and I sort of followed them, but I was never never a big fan of theirs, certainly not like many fans are today about English teams. Mm-hmm. And I was once a season ticket holder of the New York Cosmos, but I didn't even use up all my tickets for that season because I got hired out of town in the middle of the season. Um, and then I got started on research uh, in 1991. I was a copy editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer, and a reporter knew that he was that I was someone he could call with soccer questions at any time, and. Uh, one Saturday, he did call me from Columbus, where he was working on a story from Columbus, Ohio, asked me who was the first American-born black player to score a goal for the U.S. men's national team. And I found the answer for him, but finding it was a lot harder than I had thought it would be. And I decided that I needed a better reference volume on the men's national team. And... After a month or so of looking, I decided, I realized that if I was going to have a book like that, I was going to have to compile it myself, that no no such book existed. And so that's how I really got started on researching American soccer history. I mean, on a kind of related question, you mentioned that it was difficult to find information as there was no um, single reference work and that that spurred you to maybe write your own or to create your own. Can you say a little bit about what the state of the field was, what kinds of histories or publications you were able to find about American soccer history at that point? Well, this it, is the early 1990s we're talking about, it, right? There wasn't very much, and a lot of what there was were things that uh, have been found to be inaccurate as, uh, as time has gone by and more research has been done. The number one book that I remember from back then that I th- thought and still think was very good is a book 
called U.S. Soccer versus the World by a man named Tony Serino, who was the sports editor of Il Progresso, an Italian-language newspaper in New York. And uh, that was the first really good book about American soccer that I encountered. But generally, there is, was very little compared to what there is today. Mm-hmm. And even today, I'm disappointed by the way that uh, you walk into a bookstore and look in the sports section and the soccer shelf, and 95% of it is how to play, how to coach, how to referee, and there's very little about history. Mm-hmm. That is That is gradually changing, but... Um, what were the some of the challenges that you encountered as you tried to, as you said, write your own history or or find in, more information about about the history of the sport? Well, the uh, finding where the sources were, and uh, there was an awful lot of guesswork in terms of mm, this game was played in such and such a place at such and such a time. Maybe I'll look on microfilm at the newspaper from that place at that time, not really knowing whether I would find anything or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, and gradually, bit by bit, I did find things. But um, but it was a slow process, and uh, newspapers on microfilm are not easy on the eyes. Right. Uh, and then did you... Um were Colin Joes and Dave Litterer, were they working at around that same time? Or how did you Col- guys come together to write the Encyclopedia of American Soccer History? Colin was. David wasn't yet. And I, f- I first met Colin in 1992 when I went up to the uh, induction ceremonies at the Hall of Fame and showed him what I had compiled thus far on my uh, um, my book or whatever you want to call it about national teams, about national team games. And and in, uh, many years later, what I compiled then did become the basis for a lot of a book. But it, but back then it was just for my own use. And I met David. I first came into contact with David in 1996 when he sent me uh, a printed copy of the stuff he had compiled. And I thought, this is great. But uh, I was just about to get on a, a plane for a long vacation and didn't have time to look at it for a while, really look at it for a while. But the next year when Colin and I started writing our Encyclopedia of American Soccer History, I saw that David had a lot of standings that we didn't have and that it would be dishonest to do this project and just steal his standings. It would be ridiculous to just steal his standings. Mm-hmm. So that was when Colin and I decided that we should bring him in on the project. Um, and uh, I met David for the first time in 1998 at the at the Hall of Fame in Oneonta. Could you, you you've, I mean, in addition to the encyclopedia, you've written a book that, that talks about soccer in, in New England, in Massachusetts, in New Jersey... Uh, you talked about the 1970s with the Cosmos. You talked about the early part of the, tw- 19, of the 20th century with Bethlehem Steel. How do you uh, choose the topics that you, that you want to focus on? Well, with the first two of those, with um, New England and New Jersey, uh, 
Fall River, Massachusetts, and Kearney, New Jersey are two of the three early hotbeds of American soccer, the third being St. Louis. And Kearney and Fall River have parallel, very parallel stories, parallel in many, many ways, and it just seemed natural to write about them together. And also it seemed like you wouldn't really be doing a decent job of it if you wrote about one of them without writing about the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, and also I didn't know enough about either one of them to make a whole book out of just one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, doing them together suited my own purposes too. Right. And to a degree, the same is true of uh, Bethlehem Steel and the New York Cosmos. They seemed like very similar parallel stories, and it uh, uh, seemed natural to write about them uh, together in a single book. And actually, with Bethlehem Steel and the and the New York Cosmos, I wrote alternating chapters on one, you know, the rise of Bethlehem, the rise of the Cosmos, the the peak of Bethlehem, the peak of the Cosmos, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the cases of both those books, it just seemed natural to do them do the two of two topics together. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this a little bit um, in answer to one of my earlier questions about the field has begun to change. And I guess you've been working in this area now for uh, 20 years, uh, more or less. And, and how do you, how do you think, or how do you see the field as having changed over that time? And maybe where do you see the field progressing in the next 20 years? Well, I think, a very important way that it has changed is that uh, more people have gotten involved, and in the past ten or fifteen years or more, it's been uh, working journalists, particularly, who have gotten involved, and not all of them, but a fair number of them, have taken an interest in the history beyond the things that they're writing about on a day-to-day basis. But now, also very much um, the torch is being passed to real historians, academic historians, rather than well-meaning amateurs like me. And I think this is a, is a very good trend. Because, um, uh, you know, I'm very much aware of my limitations as a historian, and I'm glad to see um, people who, who don't have those limitations uh, taking more and more an interest in the subject. Well, I think it's it's also partly the case that within the academy or within professional uh, historical circles, uh, it's only been, say, in the last 25 or 30 years that research on the history of sport of any kind has been deemed to be an acceptable sort of subject matter. So I think that probably at the same time that you and, and David and, and Colin and others were unearthing this um, seemingly forgotten history, uh, the field, academic field of history, had also become more welcoming to a broader range of of topics and studies. And so it was probably a nice kind of culmination of both of those trends. Yeah, that's something that I really can't speak to myself because I don't see it from that end, but uh, I, uh, mm-hmm. I can very much understand it. What do you think is going to be the future of the field? I mean, are there particular areas or or um, 
or eras or teams or organizations or leagues that maybe you feel still remain understudied and could could um, could use reviving in the same way that uh, organizations like the American Soccer League or uh, Bethlehem Steel and some of these clubs that had all Archie Stark we had talked about uh, have have are there areas that could be developed further? Well. I think that the American Soccer League of the 1920s is one such. It's only in the last 20 years, maybe less, that that league's existence has become widely known. And it was really Colin Jones's book in published in 1998, uh, ASL 1921-31, that really opened up that subject. Until then, that original ASL, pre-1933, was sort of a murky, yeah, there was a league back then, but don't know much about it. And uh, and it's become a, a, a very good subject. And, uh, and it was a professional league, not a semi-pro league, like the later ASL. And uh, I think that's a, a very fertile field. There is one person who has been very undercovered, but I don't know how much more there is to find out about him. Um, and that's Thomas W. Cahill. Uh, David Wangerin had a chapter on him in his uh, last book, Distant Corners, which was extremely good. And uh, if, to me... Thomas W. Cahill is certainly the most important executive in early American soccer, maybe ever in American soccer. And he's um, not at all well known until recent years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the farther we go back uh, in time, the, the greater the challenges in finding information or, or sources, because in many cases those those sources have been neglected or have disappeared. And so the 1920s is it's difficult to get information, and you go back into the 19th century, for instance, and and the trail becomes even more cold. Yes, it becomes very difficult, and uh, uh, newspapers become more difficult to deal with in the 19th century. Newspapers were very different. Um, the New York Times from the 1880s, 1880s, Sports is mixed in with general news. Every story is the same length. It's really a needle in a haystack proposition. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, uh, the Newark Evening News, which is another paper that I've worked with heavily on microfilm, uh, really just did one column each day on sports. And soccer was growing and growing and getting more and more space in that column up until the early 1890s, I believe it was, 1892 thereabouts, and the state of New Jersey legalized both boxing and horse racing, and suddenly everything else got wiped out of the sports pages, Mm -hmm. sports section, sports column. So it's very difficult finding things. Um, And uh, I know... I remember once in uh, 1999 spending 
an entire day at the New Jersey State Library in Trenton. And I found five key scores that I was looking for. And I remember as I got on the elevator to leave that library late that afternoon, uh, doing my fist into the air because I was just, just for finding five scores. Um, so it was, stuff is very hard to find, find. Well, I think that's part of why we do it, right? Is that, that joy of discovery and that feeling that you finally track down that bit of information, that score or that name or that story. That yes, you, that's a big that high. And the most, the most ex, to me at least, the most interesting question is always the one that I don't know the answer to yet. Mm-hmm. Well, just to wrap things up, what, what sorts of questions are you looking to answer uh, these days? I not really looking that hard on uh, research matters now. It's it's a little bit catch as catch can. It's you know what what someone happens to come to me with a with a freelance assignment about. I'm uh, retired after almost forty years in the newspaper business, and uh, not going out looking for things to write for for income. And it's uh, it's really like I'm just taking my assignments from elsewhere and writing about what what other people are interested in. Mm-hmm. I I do write these things for big soccer, which uh, uh, in the last few months I've been posting uh, one of them a week. But I only have another. 25 or 30 of them written and do not plan to write more after that. So, uh, um, so I'm honing the ones that I've got written rather than writing new stuff at the mm-hmm. point at this point. Well, we look forward to reading the, uh, the 25 or so, uh, that remain. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Roger. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the soccer history USA podcast. For episode notes, please visit the website at www.soccerhistoryusa.org and follow me on Twitter at SoccerHistoryUS. <laughs>